by way of review, he is the bread of the Almighty. He is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is the spirit of counsel and power. He is the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He is the spirit of justice. He is the spirit from on high. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He is the spirit of the sovereign Lord. He is the power of the Most High. He is the stream of living waters. It is He that is the spirit of truth, the spirit of glory. It is He that is the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of holiness, and He is the spirit of the living God. He is called wind, he is called dove, he is called water, as well as being called oil and servant and gift and fire and a counselor. He is the comforter. He is the anointing. He is the promise. He is God, the Holy Spirit. I want to pose a question to you. What if suddenly the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit were removed? What difference would it make for our church? What difference would it make for our lives? What difference would it make for our nation and the world that we live in if the Holy Spirit were suddenly removed? Over a half century ago, A.W. Tozer wrote this. And imagine if he lived today as he makes reference to the quote-unquote modern church. He says, if the Holy Spirit were removed from the first century church, 90% of the activity would have ceased. If, on the other hand, the Holy Spirit were removed from the modern church, 90% of its activity would just continue. I think we could safely say on the modern church end that the uh, percentages have probably increased perhaps as close as 95 to 99%. On the screen you see the graphic for our sermon series and today is the last in the series of eight messages on the doctrine of the Trinity. And we have covered the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and how they work in relationship one with another. I concur with uh, Pastor Joseph, and you can expect over the months and years ahead that there will be other doctrinal series. In fact, you could have a doctrinal series of six to eight weeks just on the Father and just on the Son and just on the Holy Spirit. What we're doing is a very condensed, just addressing their deity and how they're distinct from one another. But I concur for a number of reasons. One, the youthfulness of this congregation. We need to know the foundation of the scriptures. The second is the varied backgrounds that come into this congregation. Uh, we're all over the board, and that's the kind of churches I've pastored the last uh, 15, 20 years from many different backgrounds. But probably the most important reason why we need to have doctrinal series is because of what's out there, the culture, 
We're getting attacked from every angle. And it's causing people to doubt and to question whether the veracity of the truth of the Word of God is there or it isn't. And we need to be reminded of the basic doctrines of the truth. So I just want to say right up front, my complete and total blessing is upon that game plan because we do need to know the doctrine. And that just simply means the teaching of the Word of God. Now, in our world that we live in today, we have what is known as the electrical grid. Now, over 100 years ago, we didn't have that. And we have some folks that live as if it was still those days, and they're called the Amish. We had uh, folks that lived in our community in my last uh, congregation and got to know them quite well. And in some ways, I kind of admire some of the ways and methods that they go about living life, but they, they're used to not having electricity. So if we had an accident out on Church Grove and the, the pole got knocked over, it would affect us quite a bit. If it happened at your home, you can just get out the uh, generator, you can get out the flashlight, get out the candles. You make do because eventually the electrical grid will come back on. But there's a spiritual grid of the Holy Spirit, and he does things, and when that happens, when there's no Holy Spirit, there are no candles and flashlights and generators. There's no backup. We are absolutely helpless without the Holy Spirit of God. So what I want to do this morning is what I said last week that I would do is to look at some of the areas of the Holy Spirit's ministry before conversion, at conversion, and then after a person is converted to Christ. And again, as we have stated all through this series, this is not exhaustive at all. There are so many ministries that will get left out by the Holy Spirit, but I've tried to select the ones that would best describe what happens to a person before salvation, at salvation, and then after salvation. So of these many, many areas of ministry of the Holy Spirit, I beg your forgiveness that we might not touch on what might be one of your favorites, such as the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit or illumination of Scripture or the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. But we're just going to focus on what happens before a person comes to Christ. In a very, very general sense, there is what is called the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there's a verse that talks about this in Second Thessalonians. And there will come a time when the restraining ministry will be removed. And we may not be that far away from that. I hope you understand that at the moment of the coming of the Lord for his church, there will be a while where there will not be one single believer on this earth. But this is very, very important to, to grasp the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit. It would be much worse than it is. And you're thinking, really? We can't even get our bathrooms straight. We can't get straight who is supposed to marry one another. And we've got people in this world that will just kill you because you don't believe the way we believe. And you're saying... The Holy Spirit is actually restraining it from being worked? Yes. 
All you have to do is look at one of the occasions where it got so bad that God just flooded the whole world and he asked Noah to build the ark to save eight people and all the animal life. Yes, it's going to get a lot worse than it is right now. So just know this, that this restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit is preventing it from being worse than it already is. And I do believe as we near the end times, we'll begin to see a lot of this worsen in our very eyes. But the one I really want, really want to focus upon is the reproving ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is more specific. It's more general to all people. And I want to just uh, read the passage that talks about this convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, and when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, just a, a kind of a definition time here. When my Jenkins Free translation eventually gets written, I would probably translate it like this. The Holy Spirit will expose in these three areas. Because the word means to bring to light. The idea is that of, like in a courtroom, bringing conviction. A person is accused of something, so an attorney brings evidence to expose, to bring to light, that what the accusations are, are really true. And you'll see here that there's three areas that are brought to our attention. Now, let me just clarify so that we all are on the same plane here. All a person has to do to qualify for the reproving, exposing, convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be born. As beautiful as the little babies are, they do not have to be taught to do sinful things. That's because we have the sin nature. Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, we are condemned already. So that brings us to the very first item on our uh, agenda here of the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now notice it doesn't say sins. It's not because a person has committed adultery or lied or cheated or any of those things. It's sin. The Holy Spirit's ministry pre-conversion is to expose and to convince us that we have been born lost in sin. That we have lost what Adam and Eve had in the garden. Notice also that it says it's because they do not believe in me. And we're going to come back to that word believe in just a few minutes because it's crucial. And the Holy Spirit's ministry pre-conversion is to bring that exposure to who we really are. The second item is that of exposing righteousness. Now here's what happens. We look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm better than that person across the street. Just look at what they do. Look at what they say. I'm better than my family member that's sitting in a, a jail. And after all, 
if I look at the Ten Commandments, I'm at least good on seven or eight of them. And as I compare myself to other people, and I can tell you that's part of my testimony. I was 16 years of age when I accepted Christ as my Savior. And it was shocking to everybody else because I lived more morally than all the people that was in my youth group and definitely all the people that was at my high school. They were like, well, what gives here? But as I compared myself to Christ, I was bad. And he exposed that to me. And the third area is exposing the fact that there will indeed be a judgment day. So let's look at, the, at these three. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son, only Son of God. And then the righteousness is being revealed from God, but this righteousness in this world is being shielded, and so the Holy Spirit reveals that to us, that the righteousness is not to be looked at in this world, but to be looked at in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, the whole issue of accountability. Let me just assure you that every single one of us, including me, will be brought before the judge of the universe. In just a moment, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. I'll give you my best piece of advice. But for now, all of us will have to give an account. We'll have to meet our maker. And we need to know that all that is done in this life will be exposed and brought to life before him. That's exactly what Paul did with Felix and Drusilla. We don't have the time to go into the uh, terrible lifestyle that they were living. But Paul, when he was in prison, he brought, had this opportunity. And notice what he did with them. He reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. It didn't go over too well. It says Sir Felix was alarmed. It's like, I don't want to hear this. I'll, I'll listen some other time. It's kind of like the coworker that you witness to, and they just find a way to kind of avoid you. Or the family member that doesn't want to bring that topic up, and you're talking about it at Thanksgiving, dinner, and it just gets changed all of a sudden. People don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about the righteousness of God. And they certainly don't want to hear that a day will come where you're going to have to give an account for what you have done in your life. Now, if what I have just described is foreign to you, you've never experienced this, there is a very high degree of probability that you don't know the, know the Lord as your Savior. Because this is what happens pre-conversion. This exposure of who you are, exposure of who he is, and exposure that it's going to come to light. Uh, Pastor Joseph uh, quoted, examine yourselves. The, that verse goes on to say, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. So right now is a good time to just do an examination. Am I really a believer? Being a member of this church doesn't cut it. Coming up here and taking communion doesn't do it. Being baptized with water doesn't do it. What does it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit exposing who we are, who he is, and the fact that we're going to be held in account 
That's what does it. Here's my best advice. Settle out of court. It's interesting because really what you have here is one person of the Godhead being the prosecuting attorney, the Holy Spirit. I mean, he, he's hammering us. He's just laying it on us. This is who you are, and you need to believe on Jesus. But then on the other hand, you've got the other person of the Godhead is acting as the defense attorney, and that's Jesus Christ. And all he says is, I want you to trust in what I've done at the cross of Calvary. And once again, just for clarity, if all of this that I've just described seems so foreign, I would really sit down and examine whether you have come to faith in Jesus Christ or not, because this is what the Scripture says has to happen. So let's now transition to what does happen at the moment of conversion. You'll notice back in John chapter 16, verse 9, he talks about of sin because they do not believe. Now, I'm borrowing part of this from Pastor Joseph and then tacking on another uh, A word. I don't know if you've noticed, but Pastor Joseph and I do have this similarity we like to alliterate in our, in our messages. Whether it was in his message or we was talking one day, he said, God the Father is the architect of our salvation. Jesus Christ is the achiever of our salvation. He died upon the cross. And the Holy Spirit is the one who applies that salvation. We're going to see that. But there's one other step because, honestly, you can know that God planned it. You can know that Jesus died upon the cross. And you can be experiencing right now the convicting exposure work of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't go the next step, nothing happens. Nothing. And this verse tells us, because they do not believe. John 3, 16. Got my tie on this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever does what? Believes on him will have everlasting life. Acts 16, 31, the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9, believe in your heart. A couple months ago, my wife called me and she said, did you purchase something for 48 cents at a health store? And I was thinking, well, it's usually her buying something at a health store, not me. And I said, no, I haven't. And besides, I couldn't think of anything that would cost only 48 cents. Well, she had received a notification from our credit card. Somebody had hacked in and got our number, so we had to go through the whole process of getting it redone. And so we got our new cards back, and it was kind of bad because I had several things that we was wanting to do, and it was kind of like you're kind of helpless. But when those cards came, you couldn't just go automatically use it. You have to do what? You have to activate it. Until that card is activated, it's worthless. Knowing that God planned our salvation, knowing that Jesus died upon the cross for our sins, 
and knowing that the Holy Spirit is trying to draw us to Jesus Christ, nothing happens until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what happens when we believe. First of all, we are regenerated. Now, the word in uh, Titus 3.5 is a combination of two words of uh, come into existence and the word again. You've probably heard of the phrase born again. comes from John chapter 3. Precisely the concept here. So it's the Holy Spirit who takes the architecture of the plan of salvation of God the Father and takes the achievement of what Jesus did upon the cross and he applies it when we activate it by believing on him. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to cut this verse down a little bit. You might have noticed there's some commas in there. And I'm going to do it for the emphasis of saying the, the thing that I'm after in this message. He saved us, and we're going to skip all the way over to the word by. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a verse in Romans that says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Apostle Paul used water as a symbol for the word of God. So it takes the word of God and the spirit of God for a born-again experience to happen. Now, our salvation has no works involved at all. It doesn't matter how well you uh, contribute to the poor. makes no difference how often you're in a church. There are, there are no works at all involved. The only thing God expects is for us to understand by the Holy Spirit who we are, who he is, and that we'll give an account and then activate upon that by belief on Jesus Christ. It is totally, 100%, the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate and to bring us back to life. Secondly, what happens at the moment of salvation is baptism by the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about water baptism, but spirit baptism. It brings us, he brings us into the body of Christ. Here in this church, we'll have baptisms in the water, and that will... Uh, qualify a person to come into membership into this church. That's not what we're talking about here. At the very moment of trusting Jesus as our Savior, we're baptized, we're placed into the body of Christ, the universal church of Jesus Christ. Paul said, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So, it doesn't make any difference whether it's the Kenyan who picks up a Gideon Bible or, and I didn't get to share this, uh, my son's pastor is a result of a Gideon Bible in the fifth grade. 
So there's all kinds of great stories of how people come to faith, but it's the Word and the Spirit, and He places us, regardless of our background, into the body of Christ. Now, I want to say something very important because we have a lot of confusion about this word baptism of the Spirit. I'm going to put my Bible down so that you hopefully remember this symbol. I'm just going to go like this. This stands for prayer. When I pray and I say to the Lord, I'm a sinner, Jesus died upon the cross, and I believe, and I trust completely in you, that's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes. It's not the second or third or 28th blessing. It's at the moment that we come into faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to do something else that I hope you'll remember, and it's just this. When we walk, and we're going to come to this at the end of the message, we need filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me go back over here and do my prayer thing. When we pray and we're baptized, we have all of the Holy Spirit that we will ever have. All. The problem is, in our walk, does the Holy Spirit have all of us? And we're going to come to that at the end of the message. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is placing us into the body of Christ, and then we see, thirdly, that there's this indwelling. This is the wow factor. In the Old Testament, you had this traveling tabernacle. And then you had the permanent temple. But the Holy Spirit presence was located in just one spot. Now, from the day of Pentecost onward, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We're walking temples. That's wow. He's in us. And I don't want to go back and, and go through all those, the breath of the Almighty and so forth, but He's God, and He's inside of us. And it should make a difference because our body is now a temple. And everything we think and everything we do is centered around that. And that's why He is grieved. That's why He is quenched because we do not listen and follow what the Holy Spirit asks for us to do. Now, I want to pause before identifying one more thing that happens at the moment of salvation. And this is, this is the sober moment in the service. This is, I kind of hesitate to, to, to say it because I think most people use it in a very irreverent manner. Uh, but this is our come to Jesus moment. And here it is. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And then he follows that up later in that chapter that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. So the come to Jesus moment is this. If the Holy Spirit is not in our life, it doesn't matter how many times you show up here, and it doesn't matter how many times you've been in church and how many times you've helped other people. You're lost in sin. 
And I'm pleading with you, listen to the call of the Holy Spirit. Don't harden your heart. Turn to him. Trust in him so that all of this can happen in your own life as well. And lastly, the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. This is a down payment. In Ephesians chapter 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, there's the, the water, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit's presence from the time that I believed and I prayed and all my walk and journey in this life until I get to the final destination. You know, I was saved for me, January 5th, 1970. And all this time and this journey of life, I've been walking, I need to depend upon the Lord. My guarantee to get to glory eternally with God is the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple years ago, when we moved down to this area to make it our home base for our ministry of travel, wherever God would lead, we found a place that we wanted to buy. And we told them so. But for some reason, they just didn't take our word. They wanted evidence. And I couldn't believe it. They, they wanted us to give them money to guarantee that what we said was true. And so we had to fork over a pretty good amount of money. And if we would have changed our mind, they had the gall to keep that money. The Holy Spirit is a down payment that all that he says he's going to do for us in the future will take place. Now, if the verse from Romans was the come to Jesus moment, this right here is the glory hallelujah Jesus moment. Because if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ and he does give us the Holy Spirit, we are on a journey. We are on a journey all the way to the very presence of Jesus Christ. Now we close with just two. And I beg your forgiveness that we cannot do more, but time will restrict us on this. So I just want to hit a couple of areas that I think are very important on what the Holy Spirit does for us. Number one, he prays for us. Before looking at the passage in Romans, brothers and sisters, there are some things that we do not need to pray about. We don't need to pray whether we witness or not. We can pray for power and leading, but we don't need to pray whether or not we witness to someone because he's commanded it. And brothers and sisters, we don't need to pray about whether we get married or as far as that goes, dating someone who is non-Christian. He tells us don't. And young folks, and may I add that the highest percentage of people that choose to live together are now my age bracket and up. And it's a money thing. 
Brothers and sisters, we do not need to pray, oh, God, do you want me to live with this person or not? You know, years ago, back when I was young, we used to call that living in sin. That's what it is. And there are certain things that we don't need to pray about, but there's many things, like, do I take this job? Do I relocate to this community? If there's a, a disease, an accident, what do I do as a course of treatment? There's many things that we just don't have the words for. Situations that are sticky. And we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to help us because He's right there with God the Father and God the Son. And so he groans for us. Here's what Paul said. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Brothers and sisters, this is a tremendous perk. When we don't know what to do, he helps us. Uh, this here could be an entire message that would just really, really rock because the Holy Spirit does so much for us. I, I can't tell you the times that I didn't know what to do and I was hoping, really hoping, that this would happen or we'd have this opportunity and when it didn't happen. But I can tell you, looking back on I can see where God was leading. I didn't feel very good at the time when it didn't work out the way I wanted it. But looking back, I can see that God, through the Holy Spirit, was working on my behalf. And as we close, I want to address the other side of what I talked about previously. The difference between the baptism, where we pray, and he baptizes us into the body of Christ and the filling work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to use a different word as I read Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be controlled by the Spirit. Last Friday night, we were at a wedding reception right here, sitting back right there about where Scott is sitting. And folks came in, sat across from us, and found out that he is the manager of the Jellystone campground just down the road. And so we got to talking, and I was asking a bunch of questions. They were asking questions about what I do and, and so forth. And I said, well, I would imagine there's times it gets kind of difficult in the campground. He said, yeah, in fact, he said, I don't know if you're aware of it, but he said, uh, what was it the World Expo of Beer was this weekend? And he said, I've got to leave. And they did. They left fairly early. Uh, I guess what you call crowd control. And he said uh, something very interesting. He said, yeah, when we go to bed at night, we pray for rain. <laughs> so they'll go inside. Now, here, <laughs> you're laughing like maybe you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> What happens when a person gets drunk? You lose control. 
Don't get drunk with wine where you lose control, but do be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And there's three things right here in this text that shows evidence of that feeling or control of the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Now, I'll tell you, I don't have anywhere close to the voice of Pastor Joseph. But that doesn't let me off the hook for singing. And even if you don't want to sing like melody singing, it mentions here the Psalms. Even if you just read the words. It's an evidence of being controlled by the Spirit is to reflect upon spiritual things. That's the point. Secondly, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I can tell you, there's been many times where I wasn't very thankful. And between the Holy Spirit and my wife straightened me out, I realize how thankful I need to be. But it's an evidence of being controlled by the Spirit when we're thankful. And lastly, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the immediate context afterwards is talking about marriage, and it's not just about the wife submitting to the husband, but the husband submitting to the wife as well, submitting one to another. And in the larger context of a church, submitting one to another is a mark of the ministry of the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's many other, the fruit of the Spirit, many other passages, walking in the Spirit. But folks, here's the thing. Don't be asking for the Holy Spirit to come because he's already come and you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. But the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of us that he wants and give yourself to him. Don't grieve him. Don't cut him off and quench him. Allow him to work in your life. I opened the message with the illustration of the electrical grid and if there was something that suddenly happened right now, a lot of things would change right here in this room. The lights would go out. My amplified voice would discontinue. The guitars that are electric would not be heard. The PowerPoint slides would go off. We have video cameras here that, not for security, but video cameras to broadcast this service on the Internet. They go down. If you're with an iPhone or iPad or any other device, dependent upon the Internet, gone. Today we need a little air conditioning, gone. When the electrical grid goes down, the world we live in, it pretty much all goes. But what happens if there's a spiritual grid blockout? Preaching goes, oh, we can get up there and talk. We can say a lot of words, but is there any power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit? We can sing, but are we really singing to him? I, I've often thought that maybe one of the most uh, abhorred times by God is this hour. Because there's a lot of, a lot of singing that takes place in churches that is not singing to God, but it's singing to us. It's entertainment. 
giving. All the money in the world can't take the place of a cheerful heart given in the spirit of Christ. The elders meet early on Sunday mornings, and we can make all kinds of decisions. But if they're not led by the spirit, they mean nothing. We're going to have a a congregational meeting here in just a few minutes. Every last one of these plans are nothing unless God's in it, unless the Holy Spirit is leading and directing. The salvation of the lost will never happen if the Holy Spirit is not there. And our own sanctification will stop and be thwarted if the Holy Spirit is not there. On the screen, without the Holy Spirit, it's just blank. It's just blank. We have a personal um, newsletter that we send out, and uh, the day will come where you'll have opportunity to sign up for it. And at the very top of every one of our newsletters, there's a mission statement. It's my wife and I's mission for life, for as long as God gives us health to do what we do. And the very first words of that mission statement is, with the Lord's enablement, translated by the Holy Spirit's help, we will follow this mission. Each of you have a mission. Your mission this morning is either turn your life over to Jesus and be saved, or if you're already a believer, to walk in that spirit and be controlled by him. Father God, we uh, pray that your spirit right now will uh, woo us, draw us, and tenderly speak to us to bring that exposure, to bring the light, on who we really are. And I pray, Father, that if there's ministries that you want us to do as a church or as individuals, that we would not quench and grieve you by getting in the road. Father, I just pray in closing, especially uh, for that person that's been hearing your voice this morning, and, and they know that They have spurned and rejected the voice of the Holy Spirit to believe on Jesus, the only answer. And I pray that uh, you would continue to pursue them and bring them to that convincing moment that life is only found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we do pray this the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.